Amen. Amen. So, how's your fast going? My wife uh, messaged me, uh, I think it was on Tuesday. She said, I'm so grateful for these videos because every day I forget we're fasting and then I see the video and I say, oh, right, we're fasting. Uh, forgive my wife. We have three children and sometimes she forgets a number of different things. And so um, I got to tell you again, uh, even though I'm a pastor, you know, fasting is not easy. Um, I can go, I often do, like, if you ever ask, Tuesdays are one of our busiest days in the office, it's when everybody's there, and you can ask Angelique, there are plenty of Tuesdays where I just forget to eat, I just don't, believe it or not, and so those of you with bad minds, I... I just forget, like, I'll be there from, like, eight or nine, and then I'll get home at five or six, and then I'm like, I didn't eat all day, and it doesn't phase me. It's not a thing. This Tuesday, I was starving the second I woke up, because I'm like, man, I'm hungry, and I'm just thinking about what I'm going to cook later, or what I'm going to eat, or when I'm going to eat, and... Um, but again, those are, those are great reminders that as much as my flesh desires, my spirit desires more. And I don't know about you, but I've already been seeing God do really cool and powerful things. Um, just the other day, I think it was Monday, Pastor Jason and Izzy, was that Monday? When we got a text from, from one of our people. So uh, we have a, a, a precious young man, a couple of them, that are in rehab right now. And uh, we got notice from one of the family members that one of them was uh, getting ready to leave rehab and... Uh, he had a plane ticket and he was going to meet up with this inappropriate relationship and all, I mean, everything bad you can think about and had all these reasons and justifications and he's not going back to drugs. And obviously we're like, none of this, you've only been there like a month. Um, it was all bad. And so the family members said, please, please pray. And so I literally, I'm like, Psh. Not a problem. I'm fasting, so I got time to pray. And so I literally I went into my prayer closet and, and I just prayed down heaven. I think I prayed twice within the 45 minutes that we got the first message and the second message. And the second message was he canceled the flight. He's staying in rehab. He broke up the relationship, like all within 45 minutes. And his literal quote was, I don't know what happened. It must have been God and all of you guys praying. And so I just believe that God's going to keep doing stuff. You can clap. It's good to clap for God. I, I just believe that you are never going to miss out when you take time to get closer to God. It is never going to be fruitless. Somebody wants the Wi-Fi. When you miss out to get closer to God. And so uh, I, was, I was thinking about that. And obviously on Sunday we were talking about Ezra and the Israelites and coming out of exile. And they're about that second journey that we see in the Old Testament coming from Babylon in, back to Jerusalem. And so when we talked about Ezra, immediately I started thinking about the third portion of that kind of journey. And that's found in the book of Nehemiah. So if you have your Bibles, I want to look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah is very similar to Ezra in that he was getting ready to go back to Jerusalem. And right in the beginning, the reason is he's, he's asking about the exiles that have gone back. He's kind of looking for a report. Now, Nehemiah is, is in a high position uh, within the courts. He has favor uh, with the leadership. And he's in a great position. And he's grown up in exile. He has never known Jerusalem. He's never been to Jerusalem. Obviously, he understands his heritage and where he comes from. But he has really, outside of that, no physical connection to Jerusalem. Nonetheless, he's asking for a report. And I want you to see what happens in these first three to four verses. Nehemiah chapter one, verse one through three. It says, these are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Xerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had arrived from 
from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem had been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Okay. I want you to just, again, we don't live in a fortified city, so it's not always easy to understand. But it's like, like there's something crazy that happened in your home and you had to leave and you finally got back to your house and people are like, so how's everything? It's like, it's not great. They don't have any doors. Everything's wide open. The heat's not on, which by the way, sorry about the heat not being on in the hallway. Uh, we actually have to fix that. But that's kind of the scenario, right? It's not ideal. It's actually a really, really bad situation. Now, to me, again, in the sinfulness of my nature, if I'm Nehemiah, I'm like, man, stinks to stink, right? It's like, sorry, I'm in the palace. I I get to be a cupbearer for the king. I eat choice foods. I'm living it up really well. I'm educated. Like, man, that stinks for them. But no, listen, verse four, Nehemiah's response. When I heard this, I sat down. He, He couldn't even stand when he got the news. I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. You know, sometimes it's hard to keep a fast when you're not motivated. And you want to be careful then, too, if you ask God for motivation. Because oftentimes the thing that motivates you isn't a pleasant thing. But sometimes the most motivating things aren't pleasant, right? Like, I'm not the fastest guy, but if a pit bull's chasing me, I'm gonna get up. You're gonna see this big boy move. Why? I am properly motivated in that moment. I remember one time, no offense to all the police officers in the building, but when I was, I was a kid, I was like 12 years old. I had my back to the alley where just some friends of mine were playing in the backyard and my friends start running. Now listen, we're all from here, right? You know the rule. Your friends run, we run. That's just how, and then later on, we're going to find out why we ran. But if you run, I'm running. So my friends ran, and I start running, and then I turn around to see what we're running from, and it's a couple of cops. And now, again, back in the day especially, you didn't want to get caught. I was like, they ain't going to ask too many questions. If I made a cop run, it's going to be not nice when he catches me. So I'm gone. I'm going 30 miles an hour, 12 years. I wasn't as big. I'm going 30. I'm jumping fences, hurdling things, flipping over cars, at least in my mind. I was doing some really cool stuff and I got away from them and and I was scot-free. Why? I was properly motivated. I was terrified. I'm like, I didn't do nothing wrong, but I ain't gonna explain it to you. I'm out. Proper motivation doesn't always come from pleasant things. Nehemiah eventually goes to Jerusalem to build the wall because he was motivated not by the excitement of going back to his homeland and seeing what it's all about. Not because God gave him this picture of grandeur and hey, listen, you're going to restore everything. He is motivated by the bleakness of the situation, by the breaking of his heart, by the desire to see God's people flourish. Sometimes the biggest motivators in your life are oftentimes some of the hardest things in your life but that's what gets you to go through it. And so there's a few things I picked up on this that I want you to take note of. And if you're taking notes, the first one is this, is that God moves in you before he moves through you. A lot of us are are praying and fasting and asking God to move through us. But before he moves through you, he's gonna move in you. It's gonna be something that he activates inside of you. 
He said, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned. Some of the burdens we're feeling, maybe even some of the ones that we came up here to pray for today, have been intentionally placed by God to get you to move and to act. Nehemiah had never been to Jerusalem, but his heart is broken over what breaks God's heart. You know, sometimes we'll sing that or we'll say things like that, like, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. I don't know if we really want that prayer answered because I think there's a lot of things that break God's heart. And I think we, as we draw closer to God, what breaks his heart does begin to break our heart. As we pray and we fast, we're going to get closer to God. And the closer we get to God, the things that make him sad are going to make us sad. The things that bother him are going to begin to bother us. That's, that's part of the sanctification process. As we draw closer to God, we become more like God because the thing that God loves, we love. And the thing that God hates, we hate. And the thing that God is displeased with, we become displeased with. And it's, a, it's just a matter of getting closer to God and becoming more like Christ. And so oftentimes I think God places burdens in our hearts. And again, we, we use that term, right? like I have a burden for this. What that means is there's a restlessness inside me. Something's bugging me. Something's bothering me. And I just, I just, I can't shake what it is. And I feel like I need to do something about that. Psalm chapter 126, verse five through six says, those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. We all want the harvest. We don't want the weeping, right? We, we want to reap benefits. We want triumph without tragedy. And that just doesn't always work like that. That's a really boring movie, by the way. If there's no conflict within the movie, if everything's just great, like that's, that, there's nothing there. But the greatest triumphs, right? The greatest championships are not blowouts. They're, I won it in overtime. Last second, stress was on the line. Miracle on ice. Something powerful happened and we overcame. But that doesn't come without insane, intense pressure. What is God burdening with you over these next 21 days? What's bothering you? Because it's bothering you for a reason. Because some, God is trying to get you to move. God's trying to get you to act. Now listen, that doesn't always mean that you are the solution to the problem in its entirety. I mean, part of the movement might be, I want you to pray about this over the next 21 days with an intensity and a fervency that comes from somebody who's burdened with that. And that is enough if that's all that God asked you. And now God may ask you to pray for it and then God may ask you to also do something about it. Right? God may say, okay, now that we've been praying about this for 21 days, I want you to volunteer in that. I have a burden for our children. Our children are, are, are being inundated in the streets and in the schools and they're lost. Awesome. Now that I've burdened you with this, I need you to go and talk to Pastor Evelyn and I need you to start helping her love our babies and teach them biblical sound things. Well, no, I'm just going to pray. No, no. The prayer time's over now. <laughs> and now God is asking you to move. Now God's asking you to do something. And so uh, for me, the best example was right when we got in the pandemic, everything had shut down, everything was closed, and, and I was just beginning to be burdened for the community. I'm like, what are we doing for our community? What are we doing to help people? And, and I'm waiting to see what we're doing, and, I, and I'm getting burdens. And, uh, and again, just respectfully, I was like, Pastor Carlos, what are we going to do? And, and, and he was waiting, and I was waiting. And then as I was praying, the Lord's like, I didn't burden him, I burdened you. And I'm like, I'm the youth pastor. <laughs> like, don't burden me. He's like, but he put the burden on me. So what did I do? 
I started making calls. Obviously, I asked Pastor Carlos for permission. I started making some calls. And unbeknownst, I got a call from an old friend. Actually, Joseph's mom. Where you at, Joseph, in the back? His mom called me. We grew up together as, as kids. His mom gave me a call. She works for a nonprofit. And she said, hey, we're looking for a location to distribute boxes of PPE supplies and food to 200 local school families in your neighborhood. Would you be willing to open your parking lot up? I go, how much are the boxes? She said, free. I said, you got it. No problem. And we set up that parking lot, me and a bunch of teenagers, every Friday. And we distributed food to 200 families. That led to a partnership with the local alderman. That led to uh, hosting a vaccination site. That led to uh, me having a seat on the board of the people who gave the vaccines, prime care. That led to me being able to get my mama an appointment, even though she didn't have an appointment because I pulled strings. I'm like, yo, I'm on the board. Y'all don't even pay me. Get my mama an appointment. That led to my mama getting a UTI cleared up, but also finding out she had microscopic blood in her urine. That led to her getting another doctor's visit to find out that she had kidney cancer, but it was caught so incredibly early and it was stage one that one surgery wiped it out. To this day, she's cancer-free. Why? Because I was burdened. God burdened me with something and it built. You know what I mean? I didn't know that my mom's cancer would be healed when I said, I'm getting annoyed that we're not doing anything in our community. You never know the ripple effect of a burden that God has placed on you. You might just have a burden to go, you know, hold our babies in the nursery. You don't know what that baby's going to grow up to do for God. But you held them. You don't know what that teenager's going to grow up to do. He might be the pastor of this church one day. But you led him and you taught him. You don't know that what that greeting is going to mean for a person who's hesitant to come into our parking lot. And instead of seeing, getting somebody angry sitting on the park here, they get this joyous greeting from our wonderful parking lot team. And now they feel comfortable walking through the doors. Now their heart is ready to receive. You just never know what God's going to do when he burdens you. So listen, yes, we prayed that our hearts won't be heavy, but we didn't pray that God would remove burdens. Not if he's the one that placed them. God put a burden on Nehemiah's heart and then he responded in acting. How did he act? He fasted and he prayed. Nehemiah's mourning led to prayer and fasting. Now here's the difference, right? Some of us will mourn and instead of praying and fasting, we complain and whine. That's not what God's doing. So again, let me use the example that I've been talking about. We mourn for the next generation. And rather than be active in serving, loving, leading the next generation, we sit here and complain about how bad the next generation is. That's not, that's not doing what God asked us to do. If God has placed a burden on you, it is not to criticize, but to be a part of the solution. What's the first part of Nehemiah's solution? Praying and fasting. And I need you to understand that fasting and prayer are not last resorts. They are the first line of defense. A lot of times we pray as if, well, there's nothing else I can do. What are you talking about? Oh, nothing else I can do. I guess I'll just pray for you. No, no, no. Praying for someone is the most powerful thing you could ever possibly do. Because when you pray, you are engaging the king of kings and the master of this entire universe to act on behalf of that situation. So what can you and all your little connections do that can overpower what God can do? So no, prayer is not a last resort. Fasting and prayer is the very first thing we, we can do. My hope is after these 21 days, you would have developed the discipline of fasting and not reserved it for January of every year. 
Because fasting is a, is a tool in your toolbox so that when God puts a burden on your heart, your natural response is, I need to fast and pray about that situation. When God begins to put a burden on your heart about possibly making a career change, hey, now I'm going to fast and pray about the burden that God has placed in my heart. Why? Because I spent 21 days learning how to do that, and so now it's not a thing for me to enact it. All throughout Scripture, fasting has been a discipline that you see people enact when the need arises. Matthew chapter 17, verse 19 through 21. Then the disciples come to Jesus privately after failing to cast out a demon. They say, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. There are some things that won't happen if you don't pray and fast. And again, fasting is not about a bargaining chip with God. It's not manipulating God. But prayer and fasting is about alignment with God. It's about getting yourself in position spiritually and maybe even physically. Because when you pray and fast and God begins to align you and move you where he wants you, just like I talked about right there, he put me in a position to receive the blessing that he would have for me later on that I would not have been able to receive if he hadn't placed me in that position. So we pray and fast whenever those situations come up so that we become in alignment with what God is trying to do in preparation to receive all that God has for us. Some of us are missing out on what God has for you simply because you're not in alignment. You're doing your own thing. You're sitting in the corner waiting. When God told you to come stand next to me, we're going in this direction. And so a lot of this is about alignment. A lot of this in fasting and prayer is about getting yourself in a position where God can either use you or move through you or get into that position where you can receive exactly what it is that God would have for you. So I say this, and I'll say this a lot over this month. Even if you mess up, <laughs> this morning, I was preparing a peanut butter and jelly sandwich because I'm, I'm fasting right now from sunup to sundown. So I'm like, all right, I want to eat before the sermon so I don't like faint on you guys halfway through. And so I'm preparing a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I, I, I did that and I got a little bit of peanut butter in my thumb and I went like this and I went, I didn't swallow. And I grabbed the tissue and I wiped off my tongue. I was like, dude, that was so reflex. Like, I didn't even think about it. And I did it a second time. I'm like, dude, like, but it's just like natural instinct. Like, hey, I'm going to lick it off the spoon, right? Or, or it just, and again, what, what was I supposed to do? Hey, man, messed up. Now I can eat whatever I want the rest of this month. I can do whatever I want. No, 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 no. Hey, we're all going to make a mistake here or there. But here's the thing. I cannot eat for 30 days and still not engage in prayer, still not engage in the pursuit of God's presence. So, you know, I might have lost 10 pounds, but I also lost out on opportunities to do and be in position for what God is calling me to do and be. And so that's why I love that Nehemiah married those two things. He fasted and he prayed because it wasn't just about the physical discipline. It was about the spiritual discipline. I believe God is going to position us for breakthroughs if we are obedient when we fast and pray to do what he asks us to do, to be who he asks us to be and to act in a way that he asks us to act. When you look at Nehemiah's story, he goes to the king and he asks for permission to go. And, and the king not only blesses him, but he gives him papers in order to, to get through any barriers that might potentially be in there. The king sets him up with no obligation to have to do this. 
Why does he get such favor with a Gentile foreign king? I believe because he fasted and prayed. And when he fasted and prayed, God opened the door. And when he got there, he gets favor with the people of God. Some of them criticized, some of them taunted, but the majority of the people who worked, the families who came together and rallied behind Nehemiah, the story of Nehemiah is a story of leadership. He was an influencer, but he was able to influence. Why? Because he fasted and he prayed. And so it's not just Nehemiah's influence, but it's the influence of God upon his people through Nehemiah. But I think the biggest kicker is this. If you go back to the scripture, it says that, uh, verse four, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and here's the little caveat, and prayed to the God of heaven. Last point is this. He prayed to the God of heaven. I almost find it funny. Well, why did you have to be so specific about that? Like, isn't it obvious? Who else are you going to pray to? And the truth is, lots of things. Listen, there are many gods that we rely on that are not the God of heaven. Now, we don't always, and I hope none of you do, we don't pray in like a pagan format where we have like a statue that we call a god and we like bring fruits and stuff to it. And you know, I'm really hoping you don't do that. Right? We're not sitting here practicing Santeria and stuff like that. So, so a lot of times we think, no, no, I don't pray to foreign gods. Well, maybe you don't, but you rely on them. And what do I mean by that? Well, here's what I mean. Because there's a lot of gods that aren't the God of heaven. There's the God of money. That you rely on your money to get you out of a jam or to position you or to solve a solution or to do something, right? Um, I won't get too into the weeds on these details, but uh, a precious brother in our church had called me up. There was a need in the church and he said, hey, would the church be able to provide for this need financially? And in my head, I was like, yes, we can. But what I responded with is, so you telling me there's a few of you guys that have been having this burden? He's like, yeah, do me a favor. Talk to those gentlemen and between you guys, see if they'd be willing to donate towards that situation. And wherever you end up, call me afterward and let me know. My intention was, if you're short, then we'll fill the gap. I got a call this week. And he said, Pastor, I just want to give you this wonderful testimony. We got way more than what we needed from those men. And now we're going to be able to provide for the need of this gentleman. We're going to take care of this, this, and that. I mean, just lined everything up. And the joy in his heart as he talked about it, and there was almost an amazement, like, wow, it actually happened, like God moved through on it. Had I just given him the money, I think I would have robbed those men of the opportunity to be used by God. Now they know, like, hey, listen, this wasn't just somebody who signed off a check. And again, I was glad to do it. This is the Lord's money, obviously. And, and ultimately, obviously, it's us who have given it. But there was something I sensed in the spirit. It's like, no, no, no. Give them an opportunity to, to be used by God and to act in that way so that God would get the glory in that situation and not, hey, Pastor Joe was generous enough to give us this check. You see what I mean? We have to make sure that we rely on the God of heaven, not the God of money. Another God that I've often seen people rely on is the God of chance. You know how we pray to the God of chance when we do nothing? And we're just like, hey, whatever happens, happens. No, that's relying on the God of chance, of maybe it'll work out, maybe it won't work out. Hey, you know, it is what it is. Whatever happens, happens. Why do you got to have that attitude when you can go to the one that makes things happen and say, God, make this happen? <laughs> now, if God decides to do something differently, great. That's between you, Lord. 
but I'm going to ask for things, specific things. Some of us are too scared to pray specific prayers as if God's going to be offended at your specific prayer. Now, if it's with wrong motives, I believe the Holy Spirit will let you know, right? The Bible even says you ask and you pray and you do not receive because you ask with the wrong heart, right? So if your motives are wrong, obviously God's not going to listen to you. But if you have righteous motives behind it and you pray a specific prayer, even if God doesn't answer it, don't be afraid to ask it because you are praying to the God of heaven, not the God of chance, not the God of maybe, not the God of hope, maybe this will come through. We are praying to the God of heaven, the God who is active and willing. Sometimes we rely on the God of chance, the God of money. Sometimes we rely on the God of relationships. How often is God the last person on the list that you talk to and that you counsel with? You go to your spouse first and your friends first and your pastor first. And I've had this plenty of times where people will come and want to talk to me and, and I'll say, well, what has God said about this? And I'll see on their face. They won't always say it out loud. I'll see on their face. You haven't even prayed about it. So why are you asking me? Why are you putting that pressure on me? Because if this goes wrong based on advice I give you, now you're mad at me. I, I'm not carrying that. I believe more often than not, not just pastors, but people, we're used to give confirmation. Not always revelation. Now, God may use us to reveal things. But if you're going to me before God, you're looking for revelation from Joey, I don't even know half the time what I'm doing. I'm looking to God to reveal things. Now, I might come along and confirm, and there's been plenty of times, even recently, where God has sent wonderful confirmations and things that I've been doing, and that remind me, and I think it was just the love and the grace of God to say, Joey, you're on the right path, keep going. And it's been an amazing comfort to that. But I'm not going to go to you before I go to God. I'm not going to turn to our board and, and Pastor Carlos and my friends and, and all these people before I turn to the Lord. No, I need his voice to be the primary voice in my life. Even above my spouse. I love my spouse, but I also know that she's a praying woman. And so if I speak to God first and then I talk to my wife and I know she's praying to God, then I believe we'll come to the same conclusion. It's even the same way, like Pastor Jason and I, we don't sit here and, and we don't on Tuesday sit down and go, hey, Sunday, I'm gonna preach on this and I'm gonna say this and then I'm gonna go like this and then I want you to come in and I want you, we're not manipulating. I pray, he prays, we get here and hopefully we meet in the same place. Does it always happen? Eh, most of the time. God is gracious. You, if it doesn't, it's my fault. He's, he's an amazing prayer warrior. I believe he's where he needs to be. I'm just trying to catch up to where Pastor Jason is on that. But listen, here's the reality. We go to what's tangible and remove what's spiritual because we trust. We don't say this out loud. Again, this is the heart. We trust in the tangible more than we trust in the spiritual. And so because of that, we go to people to either give us a revelation or a biased confirmation. Tell me what I want to hear. You know what I love about God is no one can reveal more than him and no one is less, I would say, less towards your bias, more towards his bias than anybody else. God's not going to tell you what you want to hear, ever. God's going to always speak what he desires for you to hear. And the last God that I think we often rely on, probably more than any of these others, is the God of self. The God of self is the one that relies on you to get you through that situation, on you to figure things out, on you to set the way and then we just simply usually, especially if we want to add a little Christian glow to it, we ask God to co-sign on decisions that we've already made. We cannot rely on other gods. We have to rely on the God of heaven. 
We pray to these false gods when we trust them more than we trust the God of heaven. Listen, Psalm chapter 40, verse three through five says, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, there would be too many to declare. Pastor Jason, worship team, if you can help me out. What I love about Nehemiah is before he lays a single brick to rebuild the wall, a single hinge to place back the gate, before he goes to the king and asks for permission and paperwork, before he does anything, he feels it deeply in mourning. He takes it to God in prayer and fasting. And then he trusts in the God of heaven to open the doors and make a way so that his name will be glorified as the walls of Jerusalem are rebuilt. This is what we're doing this month, okay? My prayer is that God would move your heart. Again, that might mean breaking your heart. That might mean, man, I have such a pain for this situation. And it may not be a situation you have anything tangible. I had a friend of mine one time he kind of flowed in the prophetic and he said in this one month he he was praying in his prayer language uh, as he was speaking in tongues he goes and for some reason Joey it sounded Italian (laughs) and I just like am I doing something weird like it just it was like he kept saying the same phrase and he just felt like it sounded Italian so one day like a month or two later he asked a friend of his who's Italian he said hey by any chance does this phrase mean anything and he goes why he goes I just I just keep praying for that the last month. And in my prayer language, that's just the utterance that comes out. He goes, that's the name of a small island off the coast of Italy. When were you praying for that? He's like, in October. There was revival going on in October on that island. Churches had gathered together and God was moving. You were praying for revival on an island that you never heard about. Why? Because when God mobilizes his people, it's global. It's eternal. You might start praying for things this month that you have no earthly clue about. But when you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit and you allow the Holy Spirit to guide and to move you and to move your heart, things begin to change. Doors begin to open. And they might not even be doors that you physically will ever walk through, but somebody else will. And some of us are going to be the answered prayers for other people's needs. And that's the beauty of being part of the kingdom of God is that it's so much greater than just your own personal struggles, is that it's all to the glory of God. As we hear his heart, break with what breaks his, pray and fast because we trust in the God of heaven. So I'm gonna ask you to stand. And in a moment, I want us to just wait on the Lord just a few minutes. And as the worship team just plays quietly, would you just bow your head and close your eyes for a moment? And I want you to ask the Lord something. God, what are you burdening me with? What are you moving in my heart? Now this may be a question that he doesn't answer here in the next 10 minutes. 
But I want you to ask, God might be burdening you for a, a general thing like children, youth. God might be burdening you for a specific child or a specific youth. What God burdening you for? It might be a prodigal in your life. It might be a coworker. It might be a teacher or student. What's God burdening you? What's he frustrating you with? What's he not letting you get away with because you're restless and you're, it just, you can't shake this thought? Because that is the very thing we need to press in on and we need to pray more for. I'm going to give you just two minutes. Just going to sit here and, and wait on the Lord. And then we're going to close in prayer.